Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. Now, every single Sunday, I, I, I pinch myself because I realize uh, if not for this job, I would be doing what I was 18 years ago, which was sitting on the couch with my friends, having a beer screaming at the TVs. Right? I mean, when, when they called me at DirecTV, uh, I used to watch every Sunday with a big group of friends and we'd be in one of their dad's basements and he had built like the man cave thing. I'm like, I, I, I'll go back to that, you know, and scream at TVs with them. I actually get to do this for a job. So how cool is that? Our guest today on the Cuse Conversations podcast is Andrew Siciliano, an alumnus in the class of 1996 and an NFL Network host who is very busy this time of year. With Super Bowl 56 fast approaching, Siciliano will be in Los Angeles as part of NFL Network's coverage of the big game. He's a familiar face and voice for fans of the NFL, as he can be seen each and every week on NFL Now and Thursday Night Football First Look. Andrew, I know your schedule is quite chaotic this time of year. Thank you so much for making the time to join us here. John, happy to do it. How are things in Syracuse? Uh, about a foot of snow uh, <laughs> and uh, 18 degrees out, so par for the course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else is new? <laughs> Let's play a fun game, though. Where in the world are you right now leading up to the big game? John, I'm in Mobile, Alabama, because we have a big game here tomorrow. We're recording this on what's today's date? We're recording this on February 4th, and February 5th is the uh, 73rd Reese's Senior Bowl. So it is the uh, crown jewel of the uh, college football all-star games and really the first major step uh, in the draft process. There are some other college all-star games, the NFLPA game. Um, there was the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is now in Vegas, but this is really the premier college showcase or college all-star game showcase for the players going to the next level. In a couple of weeks, we'll be in Indianapolis for the scouting combine, and then eventually the draft on April 28th, which is in Vegas. Was it a hard adjustment for you to get into that college aspect part of your job where it's not just focused on the pros, but you're reporting on the next generation of NFL stars? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it is a challenge every year. I mean, we, we certainly, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I watch SU every Saturday or whatever day we play these days, but usually Saturday. Um, and I've watched plenty of college football and living in LA, try to get to SC games or UCLA games. But yeah, your brain is 99%. NFL and you watch the big games, but you, you you probably don't go too deep into the granular level, if you will, of, of college football. So this is always a lot of catch up this time of the year. You know, you're, you're always trying to keep a foundation, but really uh, during the playoffs, you, you are cramming to get all your research and your work done, especially for this game. Because, I mean, you know, these players, these young men have, have worked their whole lives for this showcase. You don't want to come down here and and not give them the respect that they have earned, you know, by making it to this game. And you want to know who they are. You want to be able to tell their stories well on television. They have families too. You know, they, they want to hear their son's name pronounced correctly and their stories told honestly and passionately. And uh, it, it's, it's a challenge. You want to, you want to get it right. And also, you know, a, a good number of these players will be the headliners that help shape the league you know, the next couple of years over the last how many every years we've had Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz and Justin Herbert and Baker Mayfield. And I mean, you name it, those quarterbacks have come through here, been part of this week, been part of this game. And obviously those guys are are uh, are some of the biggest names in the game. 
you know, I know that for the longest time it was the college game was modeling itself off of the NFL, but we've really seen a, a, a trend where the NFL now turns to the college game for spread offenses, for innovative ways to, to change the game. How have you kind of seen the NFL adopt from the college game in as far as making their product, uh, you know, top notch? Yeah, you're right. It's totally flipped in that the NFL used to be pretty rigid and, hey, you have to do things our way. We're, we're not going to go five wide. We're not going to go empty. We're not, we're not going to run RPO stuff all day long. We're not going to take your college concepts. And slowly but surely, that has changed. That has evolved. Uh, there are a lot of factors here. Um, one of them is all these quarterbacks are coming in without, I mean, even some of the basics, like taking – the basic quarterback center exchange from under center. That is always something that uh, you look at these college all-star games. You're going to see a lot of botched center exchanges and fumbles because, well, yes, they've done it. I mean, some of these kids have never in a game taken a snap from under center ever because high school football is like college football. It's all shotgun. It's all spread. It's all, it's all RPO. So uh, the NFL has adopted that because, number one, you want to get these quarterbacks on the field faster, right? And number two, plenty of these concepts work, right? And, 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 we're in, and it's so prevalent. I mean, you, you don't see much of, say, what Michigan does with, John, with Jim Harbaugh, right? You know, your standard base personnel, fullback, two tight ends, smash mouth football. You don't see that. So if the NFL doesn't, adapt to college football, then a good portion, a, a large percentage of their rookies and younger players will have a massive learning curve. Such a major spotlight is given to the NFL draft every year into the combine into the senior bowl. How did you happen to get involved with that type of coverage to go from being just NFL network and the red zone channel to kind of branching out to the, the college game? Uh, they called me one day and said, Hey, do you want to do all our college all-star stuff? And I said, sure. Let's do it. Uh, it, it. Really, really, nothing more than that. It's the assignment that I got handed, and we've done it now eight, nine years. Uh, my, I think it's my eighth year in Mobile, and I, and I personally love it. The biggest thing for me is uh, the chance to do the play-by-play for for this game. Uh, in years past, I've done the East-West game, and then we've come straight here to Mobile uh, this year because the schedule has changed. Not to get too far in the weeds, the the East-West game has moved from St. Petersburg, where it used to be for a long, long time to Vegas on Thursday. So the practices coincide. We can't do both at once. So we bring the majority of our crew here and have to send a second crew to Vegas. But I get to do the play-by-play on this game, which is something I do in the preseason for the Rams television. I've done that for about 10, 11 years now, uh, going back to St. Louis days. But I I don't get much of a chance to to call play-by-play. So when they call me and say, uh, can you do play-by-play? And oh, by the way, we'll do shows all week from Mobile. I say, absolutely. Uh, it's a great week, and and it's it's a lot of fun. And then on Monday, oh, we'll get on the plane on Sunday, and you try to shut that part of your brain off, and you dive back into the Super Bowl stuff because it's all Super Bowl next week. <laughs> you know, it's funny. In the, the non-sports world, people use the phrase, you know, this is our Super Bowl to refer to a sure. big week that they've got in the office or a, a big project. But literally – this is the Super Bowl, you know, for you and the NFL Network uh, coming up with Super Bowl 56 in Los Angeles. And you mentioned being the Rams preseason broadcaster uh, covering their games on TV. How special is it to know that your coverage for the NFL Network, you're going to be covering a team that you are quite familiar with having done their games in the preseason? Yeah, uh, It's great. Um, I, I don't use the word family very often for people outside of my immediate family, but the Rams for me, I'm not ashamed to admit this, are kind of like family. 
Um, some of my closest friends are, are in that organization. And I think it's 11 years. We've all been together. These are friends from long before they ever worked for the Rams. So it, it does mean a lot on a personal level. And, you know, hopefully it's better than 2018 when they went to Atlanta and lost there to the Patriots. Um, I, I would also say that, you know, just for an organization, for the NFL media group and for the league, um, it's going to be wonderful to show off SoFi Stadium. Rams are certainly thrilled with that as well. But our network, our entire media group is is basically on the grounds of SoFi. It's not in the physical stadium, but it's on the footprint. Uh, it's directly next door. Um, and when I say next door, it's literally like across a patio, like almost Newhouse 1 to Newhouse 2, if you want to visualize it. So, um, you know, my desk every day, I look out the window at SoFi Stadium. So to have everything at home for us, it's a logistical pain in the rear, but uh, it's great to have the Super Bowl in quite literally our building. It's insane that the first 54 years of the big game, there'd never been a team hosting the Super Bowl and playing in it. And now we got back-to-back years with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year and the Rams doing it this year. When did you realize, I know the Rams pushed all their chips to the center by trading for Stafford trading for Von Miller, trading for OBJ. But when did you realize that this Rams team could go all the way and play in the big game? It's a good question. I I think when they started winning again in December, I mean, they were pretty much over November and then they turned the page and and made it uh, an undefeated December until they got to January and lost week 18 to the 49ers. But when they, you know, it looked bleak in November, uh, but when they were able to, Uh, with all their COVID issues, go to Arizona, avenge the previous loss, and win on that Monday night over the Cardinals. Um, You're like, all right, well, now come back and do it again. And then they did it again. And then they they started building this momentum in December, but there was certainly uh, some uncertainty when you got to that first playoff game. Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler Murray is a dangerous guy. And and you say, yeah, well, they are the better team than the Cardinals. But that doesn't mean much. Kyler Murray is one of those guys who can single-handedly take over a game. But the way they were as dominant, I mean, it was it was an historic performance defensively with what they did in terms of, you know, overall playoff defense uh, to the Cardinals. I think you came out of that game and you went, okay, they got something. Because at that point, they were going to Tampa. They had already beaten the Bucs. Um, they, they were they were fairly confident that they would go in there and beat the Buccaneers. Then it became, well, okay, you beat the Bucs, but then you got to go to Lambeau. That's going to be a lot harder. But the Niners did them a favor, and uh, they got to come back home. Personally, I checked out the list of all the rosters of teams who have uh, broadcasters to find Syracuse connections, and it's like, Oh, that's right. Andrew does the NFL network and also has the Rams. So I kind of, you know, with, with you going out there and then you got Dan Horde and Dave Laugham uh, from right. Cincinnati. Yeah. They're, they're both great guys and I'm thrilled for them. I've, obviously they, they had a lot of good years. You know, people think that the Bengals have just been garbage. Prep. No, I mean, the Bengals had a good run for Andy Dalton the first half of his career. They just never won a playoff game. They were in the playoffs a lot. They, they just, you know, had a lot of heartbreaking one and dones, but I'm really happy for them because, uh, I mean, it, it's it's really cool for the city of Cincinnati. Personally, I'm a Browns fan. I wish it were the Browns and not the Bengals. Um, but just, I mean, great for Dan as well because he had a, a national semifinal. He does the Bearcats, University of Cincinnati. 
they made it to the college football playoffs. This team makes it to the Super Bowl. I know it's uh, we use the Newhouse Mafia cliche, but it's true. I mean, Newhouse Mafia members do dominate, you know, for a reason uh, and, and they're talented and, and you see them on the biggest stage. Uh, what kind of pride do you get when you look around at a major, you see somebody calling a game who's a big Syracuse alum. There's too many famous ones to name, but how, what sense of pride do you get knowing that you're part of this awesome family of, of Newhouse alums that, you know, contribute at the biggest level? Oh, it's great. Um, and there, there are so many guys who, who I mean, you say it's the mafia, but so many of us are friends and, uh, you know, it's great to, during my travels for Thursday night football, everywhere you go, you're going to see someone, you're going to go to Arizona, you're going to see Pash, you go to Cincinnati, uh, you're going to see Dan, um, you know, you go to any random game, you're going to have Tariko there calling the game for Westwood, for Howard Denneroff, who, you know, is a Syracuse guy as well. Um, and if it's not a guy in the broadcast booth, it, it, it's going to be a writer or someone in PR. Um, obviously, uh, we are many and, and we stay together. And, uh, you know, when I was a student, um, it was always great how the guys already in the business would pick up the phone. I was just a, you know, a snot-nosed kid, a snot-nosed kid at AER. But, you know, when, when we would reach out long before texting and, uh, and, and uh, Twitter to any of these guys, write them letters or send them, send them cassette tapes. Everybody would be responsive. And I think all of those people I just listed are still very much doing that and paying it forward. Now, before we get to what you're going to be doing in Los Angeles, I do want to segue back to your past. And I want you to take us back to 1992. You know, you're in the time machine. You're enrolled at Syracuse. <laughs> you're going to study broadcast journalism here at Newhouse what were your goals and how did Syracuse help you to develop that broadcasting style? Well, I actually wasn't going to be a, a broadcast major first. I went to SU as a print journalism major, but I had always wanted to maybe try radio. I was surprisingly a pretty shy kid. I had written for the school newspaper. I grew up in Reston, Virginia, in suburban Washington, D.C., um, that area, Fairfax County. Um, I was not one to speak to crowds. People still to this day are stunned that that's what I do. And, but I was always someone who loved listening to play-by-play on the radio. I never wanted to do television. I loved listening to John Miller call Orioles games or Frank Sam and Sonny call the Washington football games. They were called something different then. And, and I love that. And when I, I got to Syracuse, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to try the radio thing just for the heck of it. And so I walked into WAER then uh, over at Newhouse um, upstairs on the third floor. And um, I, uh, where they had, they called writer shifts. Basically, you, you sign up to, to get a chance to audition in essence. And it's like, you know, it's like AER is like rushing a fraternity. And uh, I somehow uh, got one of those early shifts to come in once a week and do a fake two-minute sportscast on the cassette and then have the upperclassmen critique it. Um, and I, that year in 92 or maybe January of 93, I was the first freshman that they put on the radio and the only freshman they put on the radio that year just to do a two-minute update. Um, what we at AR used to call getting cleared. And... Um, I was the first one. I was still, I, I had a couple of bylines for, for the daily orange. Um, but I started doing this and, and I, I, you know, 
felt comfortable doing it. And I, I eventually changed my major over to BJ. And uh, that, that was how I got started. I didn't do anything in television until I, I was much later down the road professionally. I, I, was, I was a radio guy only. There's so many fantastic voices who have covered baseball, covered football, and had a Syracuse connection. How did you, though, take the styles you heard and adapt it to your own, to find your own voice? It's a good question. I think it comes over time. I mean, there's, you know, everyone had the the people that they grew up listening to. I I would listen to, like I said to those guys, I was a big Cleveland fan. My father's from there. So I would listen to to Herb Score and a very young Tom Hamilton. I would listen to Nev Chandler do Browns games. Um, That was when Pat Summerall was, was always doing the big CBS game. Um, Don Cricky and Bob Trumpy. I, I don't know that I ever badly wanted to do it, that I would just mimic those people. You just got to get on the air and, and be you. Um, I, I think that kids these days or, or younger broadcasters these days, if, if you try to sound like somebody, you're, you're, it's gonna, you're just going to be the guy doing a bad impression right? Be yourself, find your own voice. You don't have to mimic anyone's style. Um, but it takes time to find that voice. You need a lot of reps. Uh, it's not just one game. It's not just 10 games. It's not just a hundred games. You know, the more and more games you can do, the more and more you can learn to feel comfortable in your skin while at the same time, you know, learning how to communicate what is happening in this game and to tell a story, uh, then the better you're going to be. But, you know, that, that doesn't happen overnight. Everyone talks about that one big break that launched their sportscasting career. Mm-hmm. For you, what was your big break? It's a great question. I, I, I would I'd probably say two, if I can do that. My first, you know, when I, when I was at SU, I also worked at a, WSYR, um, 570 WSYR for about three years um, on the side. Uh, and I did uh, not just sports, I did a lot of news. I mean, I'd stay up there during the summer. And I, you know, I'm a news geek. I'm, I'm a Washington kid. I, I like to think I have far broader interest than just sports, but I would go do City Hall and I would go do murders and I would do fires. And I was a news reporter. And that really helped me a lot. But my big break coming out of school was uh, when sending out all these tapes, uh, a guy named Jeff Joniak, um, who's now the voice of the Chicago Bears and and really one of my mentors, uh, hired me at 21 years old, sight unseen, to be uh, an update anchor and a a junior reporter, if you will, for $12 an hour at uh, WMAQ Radio in Chicago. So a 21-year-old kid on the radio doing sports at 15 and 45 on the weekends, like, you know, wins 10-10 in New York. And uh, I, I was sewing over my head. But Jeff gave me that break to move to Chicago as a 21-year-old. And, um, you know, I ended up, you know, covering Title Five and Six for the Bulls with Michael Jordan and covering Sammy Sosa's, you know, epic home run chase in 98 living in Wrigleyville and uh you know I, I it was an amazing break and made some of like friends for life by by living in Chicago those first four years out of school I learned a lot um Jeff made me a better broadcaster there are still things he taught me to this day um he's a hard boss but he's now turned into a great friend 
uh, to this day that I, that I think of every day. That was one break. Um, second break was getting a job in, in Los Angeles for a startup, Fox Sports Radio. Um, and I would say the biggest break was uh, in 2005. I was doing some TV shows at Fox Sports Net. And uh, Fox at the time owned DirecTV and they were going to launch something. Actually, no one had heard of it. Uh, but, you know, we had a lot of Fox people at DirecTV and management. And one of them called me up and said, uh, hey, we, could you come in to DirecTV? And we, I, we want to tell you about this show we have that we're trying to put together. I came in and they said, we're trying to put this thing together called The Red Zone. And we're going to build it off of uh, what we have done at Sky Sports, Sky Italia in Italy with soccer, um, a show they called Forza Goal, um, and uh, where we bounce around all these games and uh, we want someone with a radio background. Uh, and uh, what do you think? Like, okay. And, and that launched the Red Zone channel 17 years ago. So that, that, that was a break. That was a good break. The Red Zone channel is must-watch TV on Sundays for football fans. It's unbelievable. You mentioned the humble origins. When did you realize that the network was onto something with this unique concept of the Red Zone channel? It's a great question, uh, John. It really it, it started slowly. Um, first of all, we didn't know what we were doing. Second of all, 2005, <laughs> we, we didn't even our first year have all the rights. We didn't have the rights to showing the CBS games live until our second season. So the first year we could only show Fox games live and then we could show the highlights of the CBS games once they ended. So the, the slow, the show was a, a much slower pace. I like, I, I, you ever, I don't know if you're a fan of say the show Veep yeah. or, or, oh, yeah. or the, Arrested, the quick hitter, Arrested the Development. Rapid. Right. Go yeah. back and watch season one of Veep. It's almost as if, the show is done at 20% speed as opposed to at the end when they were just rapid fire killing each other, every single line. And, and that's what the red zone channel felt like year one. We were going instead of 85 in the left lane, we were going 35 with our blinkers on in the right lane, but we eventually kind of found our footing and, and the show took off. But I'd say I know I had we, we we had something when maybe the second season when I got a text from an agent saying, um, hey, you said my client got burned on that touchdown. It, it, like he's 28. That was 29. That was the other guy. And I was like, oh, people are actually watching this. OK, <laughs> <laughs> got it. <laughs> It's got to be cool too. Uh, again, we talk about you know Syracuse alums being everywhere, but the fact that the two most well-known voices uh, for the Red Zone <laughs> channel—it's you and Mister Iron Man Scott Hansen, who weirdly prides himself on taking one bathroom break during his entire time uh, being live on the air. That's 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 yeah, so I remarkable. I, I, I honestly don't believe that for a second. <laughs> I, I He's mean, so proud of that fact, though. He, I, he'll I, go to his deathbed I, saying there's been that I, one break. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> but that aside, yes, uh, Scott and I were at SU together. I love the guy. He uh, uh, Scott's a couple years older than me, but we knew we weren't like best buddies or anything at SU, but we obviously knew each other, had each other's phone numbers, that kind of thing. And, you know, we, we our, our worlds overlapped a little bit there uh, at SU. But uh, 
then we came together years later and uh um you know i when when they launched it's very confusing for those who don't know i do the original one the direct tv one the sunday ticket one the one that's in all the bars and, and that and whatever scott does uh, the version uh, called nfl red zone uh, that's more like the cable version if you will um for those that don't have sunday ticket and anyway long story short when, when the two branched off and they launched the other one at nfl network and they, and they called scott and said hey you know do you you know, maybe you, can you audition for this? Cause they had a bunch of internal candidates. He called me up and was like, Hey, do you like it? What's the show? Like, like, tell me about the show. Like, what should I do? I don't know if I want to do it. I'm like, it's just dude. Like you got good energy. Go try out, see if you like it, see if you're any good at it. And I'm sure you'll have a, a blast. But then a couple of years later, maybe a year later, NFL network called me up and said, Hey, you know, we want to hire you to come be an anchor over here. And so at that point, just, it was confusing enough, right? And then there were two because Scott and I would each always get texts on Sunday from random people saying, hey, man, like, why'd you quit? Or are you sick today? We're like, no, like, we're doing the show. You must be at your buddy's house. He has the other one. Because no one knew that there were two. And still to this day, all these years later, people get confused. Um, Scott always gets corrected for things I say or, or vice versa. Like, it was like, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, I didn't, he did or vice versa. <laughs> like, Hey, why'd you go to that game? I, we did go to that game. They didn't go to that game and, and vice versa. It, it's, um, but anyway, long story short, I then went to work at NFL network and it was like worlds colliding and then people still get confused. And, and it's, it's, it's as, as, as the commissioner always says, as long as everyone can get one of them, right. <laughs> and every fan can have that format as a way to enjoy their Sunday, then everyone's happy. It's extraordinary, though, to, to hear the breakdown of how there really are the two iterations of, two. of the Red Zone yeah. channel. And of course, the voice of the Orange, you know, both Andrew and, and Scott leading the charge for those two broadcasts. Now, with the Super Bowl coming up, what role will you play for the NFL Network's coverage? So I will be uh, anchoring big chunks of the afternoon uh, during the week where our shows are called uh, Super Bowl Live. Um, some of my shows will be at the stadium um, or at the network, at the stadium, all kind of one thing. Some will be like outdoors outside the stadium. Some will be at what we call Radio Row right down at the convention center in downtown L.A. where a lot of the guests blow through, um, you know. Uh, but mostly I will be on like four to seven Eastern time in the afternoon or some days one to four Eastern time, just like large chunks of the afternoon. And then Super Bowl Sunday, man, I am going as a fan. How, how surreal is it to think back to the career path you've taken and that you get to do something that people would pay a large sum of money yeah. to get to cover this game year in and year out? I, John, I am very grateful. I, I look, we all have good and bad days at the office, right? We all have days where you want to punch a wall or yell at your coworker, but then you step back and you go, we're talking about football for a living, right? Like I am quite, quite happy and grateful uh, for the path that has gotten me. I have no idea how I got here, man. I honestly don't know. I was a funny looking kid who went to Syracuse wearing a Cleveland Indians hat every day and hoping to be a writer and, and somehow, we got here and I, I, I honestly have no clue how I got here, but uh, it's a pretty damn good job and I love it. And I'm, I'm thankful for all those who have helped me get here. And uh, you know, every single Sunday I, I, I pinch myself because I realize 
if not for this job, I would be doing what I was 18 years ago, which was sitting on the couch with my friends, having a beer screaming at the TVs. Right. I mean, when, when they called me at direct TV, uh, I used to watch every Sunday with a big group of friends and we'd be in one of their dad's basements and he had built like the man cave thing. I'm like, I, I'll go back to that, you know, and scream at TVs with them. I actually get to do this for a job. So how cool is that? Um, there, I have said, I think I've said grateful a few times. I don't think I could say it enough. What's the impact that Syracuse University, like what's the biggest thing you can say, the lesson you learned from Syracuse that you still carry with you to this day? Yeah, um, it's a good one. I, 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 the one I, I would, I would phrase it this way. You know, people ask me, oh, what did Syracuse teach you? They did, how did Syracuse teach you to be a sportscaster? Because when I was there, there was no sportscasting uh, degree or I mean, very few classes. And I, I don't know that it taught me how to be a sportscaster, but it taught me how to be a professional and that there, there is such a, an environment, a competitive environment. Every, there's so many kids who show up there and they think they're going to be Bob Costas. Um, some will, some won't. Right. Plenty that that won't will become um, Emmy winning executives or producers or um, there's so many different things one can do in this business other other than being Bob Costas. Right? But we have so many of us that showed up wanting to be Bob Costas that you, you learn to compete. You learn that you're not going to get anywhere without working your tail off because you look around the room and, and that's what everyone else is doing. Right. And, and you learn that at 18 years old um, and you learn that there's a foundation there. You're going to be helped. You have that new house mafia you talked about. I think we even within that have like what we call a W.A.E.R. mafia, like a little bit of a, a, a next another circle. Right. That's like our fraternity within new house. Um, and you're always going to support each other, but you're going to push each other as well. Like we 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 would. You know, it was competitive, like go make a better tape. Like I want to get cleared so that I can do that basketball game play, but I want to get cleared so that I could go on that lacrosse trip. I want to get cleared. You know, you get my point. And it was hyper, hyper, hyper competitive. So Syracuse taught me work ethic. It gave me a great education, certainly. Um, but it taught me the work ethic you need because we all basically, especially at AER, became professionals when we were 18 years old. Right. And there are a lot of other schools where I'll oh, go do an internship. That's nice. Do an internship your senior year. And then then maybe hopefully by the time you, you graduate, you'll you'll be ready for the real world. But you won't be right because we're just going to give you a degree. And like Syracuse was a real world professional education for me starting at 18 years old. And then what's your favorite memory from your time on the Hill, if you had to pick one or two? Oh, man. Um my favorite memory was, uh, that's tough. Um, I mean, there are plenty of nights at Chuck's, certainly. Plenty <laughs> of nights at Fagan's. Um, I would say my favorite memory would be uh, the 96 Final Four. Got lucky. Uh, my buddy Todd Jamison and I uh, just happened to be the seniors when we made a Final Four run in 96. And we did those games, and our Final Four run happened to be uh, at the Meadowlands. And uh, New York City was the home of the Final Four, which, I mean, was pretty fantastic to have Syracuse in the Final Four and make it to the championship game in New York. 
that was amazing. And it, it did really good things for our uh, professional careers. Uh, Bob Raceman of the Daily News wrote an article about us on Friday uh, before the game. And like, I don't know who Bob Raceman was really, but I, I found out that was a big deal. And uh, that, that those were some great memories that weekend. The cues in the house. Oh my God. Oh my that God. Team, the John Wallace team. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And Jason Cipolla and Todd uh, Bergen, Schneider, Todd Bergen. And yeah, that, that team, great team. Well, the Cuse will definitely be in the house on Super Bowl Sunday as Andrew Siciliano is part of NFL Network's coverage. During the game, he'll be a fan. Leading up, you can turn to the network to see all the great coverage leading up to Super Bowl 56, the Cincinnati Bengals against the Los Angeles Rams. Andrew, it's been a true pleasure and a privilege having you on the podcast. Best of luck and really uh, you know, keep up that grateful attitude. We love to hear it. Hey, John, great to be a guest. Thanks for reaching out. Sorry it took so long for us to connect. Uh, but it's always uh, good to be back at SU, whether it be virtually like this or uh, maybe one of these days when the snow melts in person. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. 